minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. You didn't hear that interaction between me and Andy, the producer, who's about to depart the building. Like Elvis, he's going. You wonder what you're listening to? This is the Anarchist World this week. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. That's right. Joseph Toscano hosting today's program. Streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Listeners across Australia are listening to us courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Wonderful people of the Community Radio Network allow the Atticus World this week to be broadcast across the country to pollute the minds of the rich and powerful. Now, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, no, 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 it's not what you think. It's not an endless party. Anarchism is hard work. Anarchism is creating a society without rulers. That's what anarchy is, without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You break down hierarchy by devolving power and you share wealth. Simple concepts equal access to power and wealth. Simple concepts. An anarchist society is a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? What are the institutional structures that need to be put in place? And they're based on the devolution of power and the sharing of wealth because it's inequalities in power and wealth which create not all the problems but most of the problems on planet Earth since time immemorial. Now, first of all, I'd just like to alert you to something that's happening as we speak. If you're listening to this program on Wednesday, the 13th of September, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee launch will be held today at 12 o'clock sharp. It'll all be over in 15 to 20 minutes or half an hour. It will be held at outside, on the footpath, always on the footpath, we do reclaim the footpath, outside the Melbourne City Square redevelopment site. There's no Melbourne City Square, it's just a jumble of machines as they're building that station underneath. But we'll be there at midday to launch the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. And what are the aims of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee? They're very simple. To hold yearly commemorations on the 9th of October, Peter Norman Day, the day of his funeral in 2006, to acknowledge the brave, dignified and moral stand Peter Norman took on the 16th of October 1968 in the struggle for universal human rights. Those of you who are old enough will remember that iconic 20th century image of Peter Norman standing on the Olympic dais with... with, uh, He was standing on the Olympic dais with Tommy Smith and John Carlos, the... uh, Gold and silver medalists, 
standing there and he was, um, you know, that's what it's all about, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. And also to, the, to campaign for the establishment of a significant interactive monument in the soon-to-be-redeveloped Melbourne City Square to highlight that Melbourne is one of the world's most successful multicultural cities. So this is not about Peter Norman. Peter Norman was every man, every woman, every child who stands up for equality, who stands up for what is right. When Peter Norman won the silver medal at the Mexico Olympics 49 years ago, when he won the silver medal, he was told by the two others, the gold medalist Tommy Smith and the bronze medalist John Carlos, that they would be holding a protest to highlight the lack of human rights in the Deep South in the United States of America, which had been convulsed by riots at that particular point in time. And they asked him, do you believe in human rights? Do you believe in God? He answered yes to both questions, and he said to them, I will stand with you. And when they gave the black power salute on the Olympic dais, he was wearing the badge, the Olympic project for human rights, and he stated categorically, I will stand for you. And they respected his stand and came to his funeral in 2006 and acted as pallbearers at his funeral. And in 2007, the American Track and Field Association, which always respected what Mr Norman did, designated the 9th of October, the day of his funeral, as Peter Norman Day, International Human Rights Day. And there are celebrations across the United States of America and other parts of the world on that day, not just honouring Peter Norman, but honouring the stand he took. Because Peter Norman is every man, every woman, every child, who when they find themselves in a situation facing bigots and hatred and people who judge people, not on their deeds or their words or their actions, but judge people because of the colour of their skin, their racial origin, their religious beliefs, their gender, sexual orientation, they will stand up like Peter Norman and say, this is totally unacceptable. You will not be doing this while I'm here. So Peter Norman is each, potentially each and every one of us. And the launch of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee is launched on a background of increasing institutionalised racism in this country, where we have significant political forces and political parties which use racism as a calling card. We have the rise of hate groups in this society. Australia is a multicultural society. Australia should be a society where we judge people on their words, deeds and actions, not the colour of their skin or their race or gender or sexual orientation, religious beliefs. So the campaign to have a significant interactive monument erected in the Melbourne City Square is a campaign to highlight that not just Melbourne but Australia is a multicultural society where we have moved forward as a community 
from the first bill which was passed in federal parliament in 1901 when this country was created from six independent colonies. And that bill was a bill which enacted, enshrined the White Australia policy in law. Laws which continued up till the early 1970s when that policies was a Jetson. But again, we have elements of society which love to use these differences to organise political campaigns, which want us to draw us back to those days. So this is a, a political campaign, not just about a monument or a statue or an installation to one human being, It's a monument, it's a statue, it's an installation to each and every one of us who is willing to stand up and be counted at this particular point in time. And I encourage you, if you're listening to this program on Wednesday the 13th of September, to join us at 12 o'clock sharp in Swanson Street, Melbourne, near the corner of Collins and Swanson Street on the footpath outside the Melbourne City Square City Square Redevelopment Site to launch the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee to launch this campaign. And this campaign is not a 200-metre sprint. This campaign is a marathon. It's a campaign which is directed at Melbourne City Council and the councillors to ensure that the redeveloped city square encapsulates and highlights the type of society we are and the type of society we would like to become. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And if you can't make it to the launch, don't despair. Join us on the 9th of October outside the Melbourne Town Hall at the corner of Collins and Swanson Street at midday sharp for the uh, Peter Norman uh, Human Rights International Day. Now, if you want more information, you can go to the uh, website, peternormancc.com, peternormancc.com, or the Facebook page, uh, the Peter Norman Facebook page. Very simple. Have a look. Join the Facebook crowd. Get involved. Do things. You know, that's what we need to do today. That's the whole, that's the reality, you know, we face with that. We need to become involved in uh, things. We need to become involved. Okay, you're listening to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, are you like me feeling a little bit uncomfortable? Yes, sometimes we feel a little bit uncomfortable. I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable today. Because this concept of universal human rights is an interesting. It's fundamental. It's fundamental to humanity. Do we judge people on what they do and what they say? Or do we judge them on superficial categories? And this postal, $120 million postal survey of marriage equality which has been launched by the Liberal National Party because they can't make up their minds and we've got to pay the cost, really concerns me. It doesn't concern me because, you know, people, you know, are going to vote. And even the hate speech involved is of concern, but it's not my major concern. My major concern is that here we are as a community been asked to make a decision on whether a section of our society is able to enjoy 
rights that the majority enjoy. We seem to have forgotten that as human beings we are born with inalienable human rights. We are born with rights that no government or corporation or religious-based organisation can strip away from us. And that is the essence of democracy. It's not the essence of a dictatorship, but it is the essence of living in a society where government is for the people and of the people. That is the essence of a democratic society, the fact that everybody in that society enjoys rights they were born with. And for me to be asked whether a section of our society should or should not have those rights highlights the inability of us as a community to understand that we are all born in a democratic society with inalienable rights. I mean, the Eureka rebels understood that. And they made it very clear in the Eureka Oath, which was, which was uh, sworn on the 29th of uh, November 1854. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. They, were believe, they believed they were born with rights and liberties, that no one could strip away from them. And here we are being asked to decide whether a section of our society should have the same rights as everybody else. It's an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. It's a little bit like saying, well, should we enslave 10% of the population because they've got ingrown toenails? You know, it's as ludicrous as that. Obviously, people with ingrown toenails have the same human rights as people without ingrown toenails. And I know I'm making a little bit of a, you know, stretching the point a bit, but that's, it's, it's that ludicrous. So when you fill in your postal survey, think about that. And it's not a plebiscite. It's not a referendum. It's a bloody survey, which has no impact at the end of the day on how most people are going to vote in Parliament on this particular issue. It's just extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Don't forget, you are a human being. You were born with rights and liberties that no one can take away. You were born with those rights and liberties. That is your birthright. And for us to deny people their birthright, birthrights, highlights the type of society we have become and the type of societies we have come from, where we deny people our common humanity because of relatively superficial differences that people have no say in. Think about it. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, I always hear people bag young people. 
I mean, Socrates did it 3,000 years ago. You know, talking about how horrible the younger generation was is how they amount to nothing. We've got more of it today. It's extraordinary. You know, you know what I'm ashamed of? I am ashamed of a few things, but I am ashamed of my baby boomer colleagues. I am a baby boomer. These were the so-called radicals of the 1960s and early 1970s. And now they're sitting in their corners counting their superannuation. Looking at their property portfolio, looking at their share portfolio, looking at their self-managed superannuation funds. These are my colleagues. These are the people I was born at the same time. These are the people I grew up with. These are the people I studied with. These are the people I work with. The most conservative elements in Australian society. On every survey, you'll find it's the over-60s who are the most conservative elements of Australian society. Now, I've got great faith in young people. I'll tell you why I've got great faith in young people. Not because historically... Young people rebel whether they've got a cause or they haven't got a cause. But because this batch of young people are finding themselves at the pointy end of life. The great Australian dream is gone. The social elevator has been disassembled and the parts sold to the scrap metal yard during the privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation revolution that has swept across this country. Young people are saddled with hex debts before they even start working. And irrespective of you know what the payment arrangements are, it's still that shit still has to be paid back. I remember before there was free education, I went to university on a Commonwealth scholarship. And then there was three university education and most of these baby boomer types who are now in positions of authority are the very people who profited from the fact that there was free tertiary education so they start off with this debt on their shoulders then when you look at the employment market it's been deregulated everybody's a subcontractor Everybody's on individual contracts. The trade union movement has been legislated almost out of existence. And people are starting off on really low-paid jobs. Not just low-paid, but temporary. You can be a temporary for decades. Part-time work. Poorly paid. No tenure. Even in many professional capacities, like you know, teachers in the public education sector, let alone the private education sector, so it's the second little pointed stick. Then comes the pointed stick of accommodation. Rents have never been higher. New start allowances never been lower. Hasn't been increased, for, I think, for twenty years. I could be wrong. Could be seventeen years. Or was that 15? Think about it. You start life off with a debt. Then you're in poorly paid, part-time contract work. 
And then you find that you've been squeezed out of the housing market because housing is now a commodity where investors snap up 50% of all houses which come up for sale every week. That's right, people call negative gear. Our, us, my mates, the baby boomers. Not all of them, but a significant number of them. The great majority. A significant majority. So I see today's youth as a crucible for change. Because all the forces that are being applied to them are forces which radicalise them. Because they're forces which freeze us, freeze them out of the capacity to participate in life. And if they don't have rich parents, they're stuffed. If they don't have the bank of mum and dad, they got problems. And obviously, the only ones who've got the bank of mum and dad is that investment class, which has done so well, that 12% of Australians that have done so well during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution. Think about it. So don't despair about young people. They may be addicted to computer games. They could be all gamers. And they think the world's going to change on the net. But sooner or later, you're going to see thousands of them flock into the streets and organise. Because I'm already seeing it. I'm already seeing a change in attitude. Because people who have no future in a so-called democratic society, in a so-called egalitarian society, will demand that future. And once they get sick of clicking and gaming, you will see them on the streets as we are now seeing them on the streets, reclaiming their birthright, those universal human rights. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. It's pro- podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. There have been uh, many people overseas, outside of Australia, who listen to podcasts, and uh, I congratulate you for uh, listening to something that's uh, a little bit different, possibly worthwhile, and as one listener says, uh, I'm sculpting his mind. What higher praise can a human being have? We're sculpting somebody else's mind. Because the whole purpose of the Anarchist World this week is to present an analysis, one you'll hear nowhere else, but two, to encourage you to become active because as long as you remain in the somebody should do something about that tribe or remain, have a membership in the Gunner tribe, nothing will change. Whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're disabled, whether you're attractive, whether you're ugly, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, nothing changes without action. And that's why we're constantly involved in organising actions which devolve power and share wealth. I mean, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee, it's not just about commemoration, it's about striking back against racist attitudes by putting your hand deep in history and pulling out an example of what occurred 49 years ago and the price that individual had to pay. So these are intensely political struggles that we're involved in. 
when I say to people, come along to the dinner at the Konjo Ethiopian restaurant at 20 Smith Street for fresh food across the road from Community Radio 3CR, where I'm broadcasting now, this is an intensely political act you make. You break bread with like-minded people. It gives you an opportunity to interact with like-minded people and possibly get involved in that struggle for ongoing change. When you join public interests before corporate interests, it's about working together with like-minded people on that very simple concept of putting the many before the few. The many before the few. Constantly. This is what we need to think of. So I think the world will be a better place because of today's youth. I know the world will be a better place because I understand the pressures they're coming under. And those pressures are the very pressures which will radicalise today's youth into following pathways that devolve power and sheer wealth and break down the power which is exercised by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Now, talking about communication, next year, that's right, next year will be the 50th anniversary of the uh, Peter Norman stand. So that'll be an interesting year to see what we're going to organise for the 9th of October for next year. But next week is an even more interesting event. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it may not be interesting as far as you're concerned. But next week, the 20th of September 2017, we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Anarchist World This Week on Community Radio. Initially as Encounters with the Third Alternative in 1989 with the collapse of the Berlin Wall, its name was changed to the Anarchist World This Week. 40th anniversary celebrations will be held at the Unitarian Church. And why the Unitarian Church? Free space. Live broadcast, 10am to 11pm, followed by question and answer for an hour, followed by lunch. Catering has been uh, organised by the West Papuan community, Sampari Catering. And uh, $15 for lunch if you stay for lunch. And I encourage you to stay for lunch. Money raised will go towards the West Papuan Independence Movement. So $15, and where is the Unitarian Church? Well, it's in Melbourne. Well, there are ones all over Australia, but this one's in Melbourne, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne. Doors open around 9.30am. Get in early. Limited seating. You may have to stand up to throw rotten tomatoes at me. Yes, we will be broadcasting live from the Unitarian Church via the Community Radio Network, to, uh, now I haven't decided how we're going to run the program, but we'll see what happens on the day, because that's the idea, is see what happens on the day. Legislation. Why do we campaign for legislation against legislation? Because legislation does have profound impact on individuals, and that's what we need to remember. Look at the current legislation around this country, especially in Victoria, where the Victorian Labor government is attempting to privatise public housing by pushing the concept of community and social housing, which is basically another form of private housing. 
legislation, we could solve the problem of housing in Australia and Victoria tomorrow. Every state charges stamp duty on homes which are bought. Every state. And in Victoria, which I'm familiar with, $6 billion is raised in stamp duty every year. And that $6 billion goes towards, you know, maybe expanding public transport, maybe building a few new roads, etc., etc. It goes into consolidated revenue. Why shouldn't every dollar which is collected in stamp duty go to building public housing and managing public housing? With $6 billion every year, if you set aside $1 billion for management and repair costs and use the other $5 billion to spot purchase or construct new public housing, you could build between or purchase between twenty and 25,000 building units every year. In 10 years you would be able to accommodate at least 1.2 million people in Victoria in public housing. And what's important about public housing? It provides security, not just in terms of, I'm not talking about just personal security, but security in terms of knowing what school your children are going to, the fact you're not going to be evicted, the fact that the rent is fixed at 25% of your income, the fact that you're in the same neighbourhood, the fact that you could rear children in that neighbourhood, going to the same schools, forming relationships, forming friendships, sporting friendships, and the list goes on and on. That's what I mean by housing security. And it doesn't take a a revolution. And it doesn't take, as Henry Lawson said, blood on the wattle. Simple act of parliament. In Victoria, you have 88 members of the Legislative Council. Sorry, Assembly. 40 members in the Legislative Council. They could pass legislation tomorrow to lock in that $6 billion that's raised in stamp duty every year into public housing. You would solve not only the homeless crisis within six months, you would wipe out the waiting list within two years. And you would then be able to provide accommodation to low-income families that are forced to rent, especially low-income families that need security you know, for their children, security of tenure. But what do we do instead? We privatise it. We get a little middle person to, you know, do it all for us, for the state. The state moves away, says, sorry, boys and girls. You know, we've subcontracted it out to somebody else who's, you know, taking 40 cents in organisational and profit costs of every dollar the taxpayer puts into it. So no wonder nothing ever gets done. No wonder we hear, oh, five Hundred million dollars has gone into homelessness, and then we find out that two hundred million of that five hundred million dollars has gone in profits and administration costs and wages to privately run organisations. Come on, even a dope, even an idiot like me, 
you know, can do the maths and say that this is not on. And it's happening every sector of society. We've seen in Victoria, which I'm familiar with, the privatised public transport system, another seven-year contract being given to the same two contractors to run a privatised public transport system when the state government had the opportunity to take back. Wouldn't have cost them one cent to take back the public transport system. Just extraordinary. It's an extraordinary society we live in where we think, where we think that the best way to solve every problem is to get a third party involved, to subcontract the problem out to somebody else. Whether it's the $330,000 which is spent on refugees every year on Manus Island and Nauru, where most of that money goes into the, pop, the pockets of the people providing that service and, more importantly, profit for shareholders of people providing that service. Whether it's the so-called privatisation of welfare, social security, where private organisations, both religious-based, not religious-based, for-profit, not-for-profit, put their hands in the till to manage the problem, whether it's privatised childcare, where we pay money to private organisations to run childcare. And the list goes on and on and on and on. It's a model which doesn't make economic sense, let alone moral or ethical sense. So think about it. There are options. There are always options in life. Why we pick some options and other other options are basically due to institutionalised inequalities of power that exist, where we have a parliamentary system where our representatives' main task seems to be to protect that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. I'll give you an example. I don't know whether to laugh or cry, but this is, this is a totally pathetic example. It is very sad. It's a horribly sad example. Now, currently, our beloved Prime Minister, the Right Honourable Mr Malcolm Turnbull, I just wonder whether any of the banks... In the Caribbean, he's got some of his money and they've been blown over. It doesn't really matter. It's all on computers these days, isn't it? You don't need a paper trail. Oh, look, I'm just thinking to myself, sorry about that. So we've got our friend Malcolm, the Prime Minister of the country. He calls in the head of AGL because, hey, guess what? AGL, they've got one responsibility, to maximise profits for their shareholders. They know what their responsibility is. And they've seen the writing on the wall as far as cold is concerned. It's not profitable. There's going to be problems in the future. It's going to be phased out and they're going to keep shutting down power stations. Right? So Mr Turnbull calls the AGL bloke in and says, hey, mate, we need to, you know, here, mate, gives him a glass of mineral water. Obviously they don't have whiskey in the middle of the day. Glass of mineral water and says, look here, mate, you need to... Keep that power station open. But the AGL boss says, hey, look here, mate, I've got to take it back to the board. I'm just the CEO. You know, I can't make this decision. If it's going to affect the profitability of our shareholders, we can't do it. That's our mantra. That's our mission statement. 
to increase profits for our major shareholders. That's how, that, that's what that, that's what I'm here for, mate. I'm, I don't give a shit about the national interest. You know, you may be prime minister, but you're not going to tell me what to do. And then Malcolm says, "Oh, oh, we'll have to get somebody else to buy the power station if you sell them to a reasonable price." And I'm thinking, here's the CEO of AGL, right? a company not noted for its ethical and moral considerations as far as energy production is concerned, who's seen the writing in the wall as far as power generation is concerned for the future with increased you know, greenhouse emissions. They've seen the writing in the wall. They've made a commercial decision. They've decided they need to move into renewables in a big way and gas. They've decided they need to do it in order to maintain profits, increase profits for their major shareholders. Otherwise, their major shareholders will go and put their money maybe in their renewable, you know, uh, energy industry, right? So they've seen the right in the wall. They're doing what they are naturally born to do. A corporation's major task is to make ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental costs and national costs. That's their role. We may not like it, we may think it's crap, but that is their role. And he's told them, that's my role, mate. I'm just a CEO. I've got to go back to the board, and the board will say, I'll piss off. You know, piss piss off, Malcolm. Now, Malcolm Turnbull, who's the Prime Minister, the First Minister, the Prime Minister, not the Prime Rib, but the Prime Minister of this country, old Malcolm, all right? Good old Malcolm, Bermuda Malcolm, Prime Minister of this country. He doesn't seem to understand what his responsibility is as as a Prime Minister. I mean, the CEO of AGL understands his responsibility, But Malcolm and most of his parliamentary colleagues don't seem to understand their responsibility. The responsibility of a government in a democratic society is to provide for the needs of the people they represent. Now Malcolm could say, stuff you, AGL, we are going to build all these banks of, you know, solar banks, wind power, you name it, we're going to get involved in and we're going to make sure there's energy security for the people of this country. It's simple, isn't it? You think about it. If you've got a backyard, and I know a lot of people don't have backyards these days, but if you've got a backyard or a hydroponic system or something where you're growing a few vegetables in the backyard, if there's a shortage of tomatoes, well, hopefully you can grow some tomatoes in your backyard, all right? You grow the tomatoes. You don't get a third authority to come in and grow the tomatoes for you because they don't don't want to grow them, right? There's not enough profit. You like tomatoes, you grow the tomatoes. It's the same analogy with the Prime Minister of the country. He's the Prime Minister of the country. We have issues as far as energy security is concerned because these coal-fired power stations are no longer economic. Let's forget about the damage they do to the environment because obviously a lot of people in the Liberal National Party don't believe, and that the key word is believe, they do damage to the environment. That's why they keep pushing this coal crap, all right? They don't believe that. And as a Prime Minister, he should know his responsibility. It is us, the Australian people, through a representative democratic system that elect politicians to make decisions for us for a fixed period. Now, as somebody who finds representative democracy uh, particularly Clayton's form of democracy... Well, a watered-down Clayton's form of democracy, as far as I'm concerned, it's not, it's not rule of the people, by the people, for the people. It seems to be rule of the corporations, for the corporations, by the corporations. But, see, 
you know, if Malcolm was a real prime minister, he'd say, stuff you. We're going to build some alternative renewable energy sources, which will be owned by the people of Australia. And if he was, if he's really had some courage, instead of having a, a postal survey regarding somebody's human rights, maybe he'd hold a referendum to see whether the Australian people wanted these energy, new energy production resources incorporated into the Australian Constitution so they couldn't be sold by a future government. And I can assure you, I'm sure most people would say, look, it is your responsibility not to pave the road with gold for unaccountable corporations, but it is your responsibility as a government to ensure that people's basic necessities are met. And after security, there's nothing more basic than having access to a stable energy supply. So instead of saying, well, up yours, AGL, you shut it down, you've given us five-year notice, we're going to build all these alternative power systems with taxpayers' dollars, even if we have to increase taxes, with taxpayers' dollars to ensure there's energy security for all, manufacturing as well as business and as well as consumers. We'll make sure there's that. Because we're the government. We can do it. He holds back and says, Oh, oh, we can't do that. It's ideologically unacceptable for the people who've taken over the Liberal Party. And that's right. The people who've taken over the Liberal Party. It's ideologically unacceptable for them, the government, to be involved in providing basic necessities to the population. It's always got to be provided by the private sector. You listen to these scumbags. Look, my apologies to scumbags. I'm so sorry, you know, to associate you with the Liberal National Party. Look, I beg forgiveness. Please don't take me to court over it. Don't don't sue me over it. You know, I'm sorry, scumbags. You know, look, it was just a slip of the tongue. I didn't mean it. I apologise profusely. But, I mean... (laughs) It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And this man thinks he's Prime Minister. He really thinks he's Prime Minister. He really thinks he's making decisions for the country. And when you look at the Labor opposition, to a significant degree, you'll get more of the same. They're all on the same bandwagon. Let the private sector do it. Everything the public sector does is inefficient. Well, aren't the military forces public forces? A lot of aspects of the military has been privatised, right up to the guards which uh, guard the barracks. But at the core, the armed forces is a public institution. Think about it. What have these people got against taxpayers' money being used by government to establish institutional structures and establish structures which provide for the basic human needs of the population they represent. I mean, I'm I'm a simple man. I'm a very simple man. You know, one plus one equals two. And if you give me me a, a complicated mathematical complication, I'll just look at it and blink. But even a simple person like me knows that if you've got a problem, that you resolve, you work to resolve that problem. And if resolving that problem is dependent on you doing something about it 
or your representatives doing something about it, well, then you do something about it. You don't leave it to a third force or try to cajole a third force to do it for you. It's just extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. It really shows the prophetic nature of politics in this country. So think about it. Think about it. It's just extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. Just extraordinary. Unbelievably. It's just unbelievable. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australian Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Now, there's a few other things I'd like to mention. Now, nominations are now open for the Eureka Australia Medal. The Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations Group, which is an offshoot of the Anarchist Institute, has been handing out Eureka Australia Day medals now since 2006. Usually we give out six, sometimes seven, sometimes eight, but usually six Eureka Australia medals to individuals who normally would not be recognised in the official honours lists. And even if you are recognised in the official honours list, would you actually accept your honour on Invasion Day, the 26th of January? Or would you accept your offer on the Queen's birthday in June? Come on. It's disgusting. It really is disgusting that the fact is that the only two days people can accept their official honours. So we decided over 12 years ago to set up the Eureka Australia Day medal, all right? Because we think the 3rd of December should be Australia Day, being Eureka Day. So Eureka Australia Day medals. Now, this is an open nomination process and we're calling for nominations. Nominations close on the 15th of November. Now, don't ring me. Don't ring me because I'm not going to write it down. You've got to do a bit of work. You can either email your nomination to anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com, or you can send a written nomination to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Now, there is no nomination form. On a piece of paper or on your computer, the person's name, a contact address for them because we like to let them know because occasionally somebody doesn't want the Eureka Australia Day medal. That's their choice. Their name, contact address, and a paragraph of two of why you think they deserve the medal. And the idea of the medal is based on the Eureka Oath. So if people whose activities reflect the sentiments expressed in the Eureka Oath, which is direct democracy, solidarity, mutual aid, internationalism, to nominate your friends, nominate your enemies, nominate your colleagues. Because on the 3rd of December, on Eureka Day, we hand out those medals and give people an opportunity to speak at Bakery Hill in Ballarat at 10am. Why Bakery Hill in Ballarat? Bakery Hill was the site where the Eureka Rebels on the 29th of November took the Eureka Oath. Where else would you hand out the Australia Eureka Medal except on Eureka Day at back at Bakery Hill? And if somebody has died and you think they deserve a Eureka Medal, we also honour people posthumously. So send in the nomination. You don't send it in and nobody else is going to send it in. As I said before, we've got an opportunity now over the next two months 
Send in that nomination, post it in, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Email it to anarchistage at yahoo.com. I'd like to thank those people who came to the uh, Eureka Grave Walks on, the, um, on Saturday, last Saturday. We'll have another one in October. I'm not sure what date yet. Also, like to remind people that on the 1st of October, that's right, the 1st of October, we've had to change the date. We'll be the inaugural um, anarchist past and present walk, followed by Yamcha. That's a that's a, a Sunday, 1st of October, and we meet at Chummy Place in Carlton, which is off Ligon Street. Look it up, Chummy, C-H-U-M-M-I-E, at 11am. That's on the 1st of October. Walk, talk, yamcha. Anarchism, Melbourne anarchism, the early days. We'll give it a burl, see what happens, see who turns up, see how the day goes. Should go from about 11am to 2pm, maybe even 3pm. Who knows, depending on how people feel. Social day, a bit of walking involved. It'll all be accessible. If you've got in a wheelchair, don't worry. Bring your wheelchair. It'll be fine. If you've got a walker, bring your walker. Um, it'll be fine. It's not going to be a huge walk, maybe two or three kilometres. We'll look at some interesting sites because I don't think people understand that Australia had a vibrant anarchist movement and community in the 1880s, especially in the late 1880s, where there were hundreds, if not thousands, of people who uh, were involved in uh, radical activity in the city of Melbourne. There are sites all around the city of Melbourne which highlight where the bookshops were, where the community cafes were, where people congregated, what they did. So uh, join us, 1st of October, Sunday, 11am, Chummy Place, C-H-U-M-M-I-E Place, in Carlton, uh, off Ligon Street. Look it up, join us. No fee, walk, talk, young cha, obviously, as with everything we organise. You pay for your own food and drinks. And if you're wondering what we're going to happen on the 3rd of December, well, we continue to have the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations. We're currently negotiating where we're going to have the Eureka dinner that night. It's a Sunday, the 3rd of December, 4am to 10pm, a day of activities. Join us, 4am to 10pm. I'll give you more information over the next week or so once we've locked in where we're going to have the Eureka dinner, but it'll start at 4am at the corner of Eureka and Stall Street in Ballarat with the Eureka Dawn Ceremony, where we will be at the very site the Eureka Battle took place in 1854, which, according to my calculations, would be 163 years ago. And the beauty is there'll be nobody else in Ballarat celebrating Eureka Day on Sunday. Well, there may be one or two other people. We'll see what happens. They usually like to celebrate on the weekend, but... People about right have always had a divided loyalties as far as the uh, rebellion is concerned. They're happy to use the symbols to promote business and the council, but uh, when it comes to supporting anything to do with Eureka, the Ballarat City Council has a long history of ignoring Eureka. Doesn't even fly the Eureka flag on the main flagpole of the Ballarat Town Hall on the 3rd of December. Just extraordinary, but that's what happens when uh, we forget our history. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. There are a few websites you can go to. 
you can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Toscano for the Public. Become a friend. Like the page. I'll never be as good as Daniel Andrews, but we'll get there. Like the page. Don't forget the 20th of September, 40th anniversary of the Anarchist World this week, live broadcast, Unitarian Church, 110 in Grey Street, East Melbourne. Join us for the live broadcast and stay with us for a meal. The meal's $15. Join us for the meals. Only $15 provided by the West Papua Independent Activists. Don't forget Wednesday night with Joseph Toscano tonight at Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant across the road from the studios of Melbourne, 3CR, 20 Smith Street, Collingwood. Starts at 6pm. We usually leave by about 9.30pm. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing webpage, Defend and Extend Public Housing. Have a look at what's happening on the webpage, like the page, get organised, get involved. Defend and Extend Public Housing. That campaign is going in leaps and bounds as more and more organisations join the campaign to defend and extend public housing. If you listen to this program on September the 13th, join us for the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee launch at Midday Sharp, Swanson Street, near the corner of Swanson and Collins Street, just across the road from the uh, construction site. Well, we'll be actually on the same side of the road as the construction site. See you there at 12 o'clock. And uh, don't forget the 1st of October when we're going to do the uh, Walk, Talk and Yamcha Early Anarchist Melbourne. Join us at Chummy Place. We'll tell you more about that next week. And don't forget about the uh, Unemployed Workers Union and Public Interest Before Corporate Interests uh, Forum, which I'll talk more about next week. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Don't forget the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, which broadcasts the Anarchist World this week across the nation. That podcast address, 3cr.org.au. 3cr.org.au Listening to the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.